Welcome to the Hidden Wise 30-minute power segment. I am passionate about creating a lifestyle that minimizes suffering and regret. The purpose of life is not simply to survive, but to thrive, and I believe we do that by creating a life with greater freedom, fulfillment, and happiness. Each week, I'll be delivering a 30-minute conversation with a guest expert on a topic that they are knowledgeable and passionate about, with the purpose to inspire and educate us all. I don't have all the answers. I'm simply trying to figure life out. And through greater awareness and understanding, I can put into practice what I learn to further my life's progression. I can't give you your life's map. I can't show you the way, but I can assist you in discovering your why. I can help you define your life's compass to guide you purposefully to act on and pursue your life's desires. And from there, watch happiness ensue. My guests are the experts. They are the people I learn from. They provide the inspiration, education, and methodology that we can all benefit from in better navigating the ultimate life. Without further ado, let the show begin. Welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast. This is episode 716. Today's guest is Ronald J. Frey. The topic is relationships. Ron is a former acting chief psychologist for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and a registered forensic and clinical psychologist. He is the co-author of Feeling Better and co-director of the Institute for Interpersonal Psychotherapy with Cindy Stullberg. Ron lives in Quebec and you can visit him online. I'll stick the links in the show notes, guys, for this episode. Today, we're talking about relationships. There's a lot of great insights in this episode as to why relationships are so important, plus some cool tools, techniques, and tips to help us all improve the relationships in our lives. I hope you enjoy. Cheers. G'day, Ron, and welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well, and yourself? Mate, I'm fantastic here. Beautiful uh, Saturday morning, a little bit overcast maybe, but um, yeah, lovely sort of summer day. So it's not minus 26 like in Canada, right? Oh, no, no. Whereabouts are you? <laughs> I'm in Ottawa, capital city of Canada. Lots of snow. The Rideau Canal is frozen, the world's largest skating rink. So uh, oh. we're getting laced up and getting ready to go out. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I do uh, I do appreciate the snow because I've never really had it in my life and we lived in Japan for a period there, so... It got to experience the uh, the white Christmas, which is nice for Very a change. Nice. But, uh, mate, looking forward to our conversation, and thanks for coming on the show. Um, you've just recently published a book uh, with uh, the title Feeling Better, Big Depression, and Improve Your Relationships with Interpersonal Psychotherapy. So the topic of the day is relationships. Um, what I like to do is, is always start with why this topic um, is important to you, and perhaps you can share you know, why you decided to write this book. Sure. Well, the reason why we decided to write this book, this is Cindy and myself, is because uh, interpersonal psychotherapy is a therapy which is not very well known. It's mm. uh, kind of plays second fiddle to the cognitive therapies that many of us um, are very familiar with. You know, this, the typical phrases that you hear that your thinking isn't right or your, your thinking is negative or irrational. So a lot of analyzing about what your thoughts are. And what a lot of us psychologists who practice IPT always found is that it's kind of like blaming the victim, right? It's kind of like saying, you know, it's your fault. It's your thinking, which is the problematic. You just need to snap out of it. Mm. And uh, the individuals, Clermont and Wiseman, who developed IPT, thought, why don't we look at it a little bit differently? Why don't we look at how people are actually relating with other individuals in their interpersonal world and to, and, and to see, you know, if there can be some improvements made there. And if you can improve your interpersonal functioning, maybe it'll have a positive impact on your mood. And that's exactly what they found. So 
Um, unfortunately, they didn't have a charismatic leader like Beck or Ellis, and uh, so it kind of got stuck in the lab for many years. But uh, we've decided to write a book, bring it to the masses, and it's a self-help book, step by step, and uh, to 12 to 16 weeks uh, if you follow uh, what we're recommending you do to improve your interpersonal uh, functioning and the relationships you find yourself in, you're going to be feeling better. And that's why we wrote the book. Okay. So it's more, um, sort of a guide week by week, have a read of a chapter and then sort of take away the tools and, and implement them or execute on them into your life. That's exactly it. Exactly. Okay. it. Okay. And how long have you been studying in this field? Oh, I'd be going about 20 years now, uh, and Cindy, my partner, is on for probably twice that. (laughs) So have lots of experience, lots of clinical experience. We've seen some wonderful successes with this model, uh, and so we're excited to share it with the world. Okay, so Cindy is the co-author, is she? That's right, yes, and she's in Toronto. Okay, cool. So just going back to cognitive therapy and IPT, can you explain, just once again, maybe more simplistically, what the difference is there? Your sort of cognitive therapy is talking about um, your thoughts and, and your thought patterns and, and then looking to change those? Right. And interpersonal psychotherapy doesn't focus on thoughts. We right. look at how you interact with people around you. And so typically what we find is that people who are struggling with stress and symptoms of depression or even with PTSD is that they're having problems either they're having a conflict with somebody in their life, like a spouse or a colleague or, or a child, uh, which they just can't resolve and it's kind of wearing away at their mood. Uh, or they may be going through a significant life transition. Uh, so, for example, somebody entering retirement or going away to college or university. When you go away to college or university, you know, there's a huge change in your interpersonal world. You're making new friends. You're losing old friends. The, 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 the type of connections you had are going to change um, when you move away from mm-hmm. home. Um, and also, people's mood can be affected by the loss of a loved one. You know, if you haven't been able to grieve the loss of your neighbor, your spouse, your friend, that can also uh, lead to symptoms of depression. And then fourth, the fourth possible reason for depression is just your interpersonal style. You know, some people can be fairly abrasive or they can be very dependent or needy. And those type of interpersonal styles can have consequences on your mood. So IPT looks at those four possible areas and we kind of encourage our patients to choose one of those focal areas and then we're going to work on your uh, interpersonal functioning within that area to uh, improve your mood. Okay. Um, just to interrupt quickly, Ron, I've got a bit of a scratching coming through. I don't know if you've got a microphone cord or something that might be rubbing there. Uh, oh, okay, I'll just be cognizant. Sorry about that. It's <laughs> okay. I just noticed it. Um, so look, looking at, at that, it, it's really then the difference between cognitive therapy and then IPT is really looking at the relationships um, and how we're experiencing those relationships and how that then affects our stress, depression, anxiety, all that sort of thing. That's exactly right. So is it only relationships um, with others or is it relationships with ourselves? Is it relationships with our environment? Primarily, it's our relationships with others. Um, Of course, if you are in the fourth focal area, which is your interpersonal style, then it's really about developing the awareness of, you know, how you interact with people. Um, So there's a, the work there is done a little bit differently. But generally speaking, uh, for most individuals, it'll be about 
how they're relating to people. Are they withdrawing from people? Are they closing down? Are they isolating themselves? Um, or, or they do not know how to have, start a conversation uh, with somebody because they're in a new environment. Mm. Um, so that's uh, that's basically what we'll we'll be focusing on. Okay. So just can you just revisit those four particular areas that you focus on? Sure. So the first area could be a conflict that you're having with a spouse. So if you think back, when you're first dating with somebody, there's lots of conversation going on. And we explore our expectations and our values and where we'd like to be in our relationship, etc. But then what happens over time is that, you know, job transfers, children come into the picture, uh, activities, you're taxing your kids here and there. Uh, there's individuals in your family who are becoming ill. All sorts of factors come into play. And, and what happens is a lot of that conversation really stops and then we start to grow apart. So really in the conflict area of IPT, we get the couples together uh, and we get them to work on some exercises. There's a fantastic one in the book called The Matrix where they will rediscover uh, what their expectations and values are today, not 10 years ago or 20 years ago, hmm. and uh, and help them determine whether they can uh, come to an agreement with respect to where they want to be going. And if they can't, then maybe think about uh, decoupling so that um, individuals can form new relationships and uh, and feel uh, better. So that's the, 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 that's the dispute one. Yeah, that's the dispute first one, conflict. very common. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next one would be transitions. So that would be, for example, um, your child going off to college, university, uh, that has a profound uh, disruption to their interpersonal world. They'll lose their peer group or their peer group changes. How do you make friends? How do you make new friends? How do you fit in? So transitions is another area. Yeah. Uh, third one was the grief, unresolved grief issues. If somebody has died and you haven't been able to overcome that death because, for example, you're a police officer or a soldier and you don't have time to grieve, uh, many reasons why people struggle with death. That's another area. People who struggle with that usually um, isolate themselves. They start shutting down. And so what we try to do is we get them to go and experience the catharsis and the, the loss in a safe setting and then get them to start um, getting engaged with society again, and we see an improvement in mood. And of course, the last one is what we call isolation or loneliness. Um, and this is really where uh, your interpersonal style is really not optimal. It, it basically pushes people away from you. Hmm. And uh, and so that would be the fourth area that we could work on as well. That's great. So with these, so I suppose anyone that might be suffering some anxiety in their life, maybe depression, um, you said PTSD as well, um, that would be a good reason to maybe visit um, looking at IPT as a, as a solution rather than you know, some medication or, or some of the other therapies that might be available? Well, it's one, it's one uh, certain one option. I mean, medications yeah. for some people um, can certainly manage some of the symptoms, help take some of the symptoms away or lessen them, but really interpersonal psychotherapy addresses the cause. Yeah. Uh, and, co- and cognitive behavior therapy does as well. It's just that some people uh, prefer the interpersonal model because it's more, it's, it's not criticizing your thinking. It's, it's more looking at what options there are in your real world here in the now, the friends you have or the friends you've lost or the friends you may need to make uh, and really um, um, putting meaning to those relationships and attaching feelings to them. That's what we're trying to do. Okay. Sorry, Ron, I've just still got that scratching coming through. I don't know what, what that might be, but 
It's um. <laughs> I don't know what that could be either. I'm being very careful with the mic here. You, so you can't. Okay, that's all right. Um, cool. Okay, so with that in mind, um, these look like they're just focusing on relationships. Um, with depression and anxiety, is it always going to come down to you know one of these issues that that we that we might be facing, or are there going to be other elements too that you need to deal with um, on top of some of these, perhaps? Well, usually we have found it's one of those four areas, but there are uh, also medical reasons as to why people may be experiencing um, symptoms of depression. And one really uh, common one is hypothyroidism. So it's always important for patients uh, to get a good medical checkup uh, with respect to um, you know the current medical uh, status yeah. to make sure that you get all those things uh, sorted out first before you actually start therapy. Uh, because if you are, for example, having a, horm- a hormonal explanation um, for your mood, then it's going to be really hard to find any success with therapy, uh, psychotherapy. You got to get those medical things addressed first. Mm. In your research, how important, and I assume it's pretty important, but how important are relationships in our health, longevity, and, and happiness? Critical. I mean, you know, through evolution, uh, humans are social creatures, and uh, there's been numerous, numerous studies um, in the um, in, in the human population and even in the animal population, um, which really demonstrate the importance of having relationships with your species, and uh, and for us, thus other humans. So it's really important, and it's why uh, we really put an emphasis on optimizing interpersonal functioning to ensure your resiliency and also to address any, um, you know, any any, uh, troubles with your mood. So why, why are relationships so critical to our health, longevity and happiness? Like why throughout evolution has it been such a fundamental part in your research? Oh, that's a really, uh, that's a pretty deep question. I don't actually have an answer for that. Uh, the only answer I could probably think is that there must be an evolutionary uh, reason as to why uh, we are so, why socialization and why relationships matter. Uh, it must have been really important for the survival of our species, and uh, and and that's just the just the reality that we have to 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 live with. Yeah. And I think in today's in today's world, like if you look at Facebook, for example, you know you may have hundreds of friends, uh, but are they really your friends? Like, do you really have important, meaningful conversations with them? And uh, so it looks like friendships and has kind of been changing through technology, but deep, deep, deep down, it's still really important to invest uh, appropriately uh, and in a meaningful way with people around you. So more on a face-to-face level rather than digital. Well, yeah, I remember once having a conversation with my daughter, you know, she got a reminder that it was her best friend's birthday and she told me, I'm just going to send her a quick text. And I said, well, why don't you pick up the phone and call her? It may be more meaningful. And she looked at me like if I came from outer space when I, mm, <laughs> when I gave mm. her that suggestion. But you know what? She did it, and she really found it to be a really um, rewarding experience. And, and, mm. and it was a really a profound moment for her. So uh, it's sometimes good to remind uh, the little ones or the younger ones the importance of, um, of really having meaningful conversations and, and, t- and taking that extra step. Uh, to demonstrate that to the people that you love. So what are you seeing as some of the, the maybe key challenges that we're experiencing around relationships and, yeah, maybe the key challenges first of all? 
I think some of the key challenges um, right now are really technology driven. I think yeah. that uh, people, you know, are working um, many different tasks at the same time. Uh, they se- tend to have less time to sit down in the living room and have conversations that you know about politics, world, religion, whatever, whatever it is. And they tend to be sitting in, you know, in front of their screens, having um, less, uh, you know, in-depth uh, interpersonal experiences than you know the generation before. And I think that is a, a main problem. Uh, I remember my um, taking my kids to my university where I studied about uh, 20 years ago. I wanted to show them what it was like. And the university hasn't changed. There's mm. still lots of students in the hallways. But what I found striking was that nobody was talking. Everyone's Everybody was down. staring in a screen. Mm. Yeah, it was really a surreal experience. And I kind of found that sad. Um, and, and I did wonder as an IPT therapist, like, wow, what kind of an impact does that have on people's mood in the long term? And there's something called the internet paradox, which really looks at, you know, the amount of time you spend on screen and the impact it has on your mood. And, and really it's, uh, it's not a, not a good situation. So technology, definitely. Um, you know, I suppose we, you know, it, technology is a big distraction. Um, and I sort of feel that, we probably have more time to really connect with one another, but instead of connecting with one another, one another, we're choosing um, screen time and we're choosing to connect digitally rather than um, front up face to face. Is that what you're sort of seeing as well? Yes, that's what I see. And and also typically when you're uh, engaging people, you know, online, you're also looking at other text messages or other websites. Uh, you, you have a number of other distractions around you that you're, kind of juggling at the same time and uh, so you don't really have that connection that you would have you know if you're face to face with somebody or going for a walk with somebody um Mm. or going for a drive as you you know so is that i mean can we create good connections online have you seen that um as happening because there's there's two sides to the coin i guess and a lot of people would say that you know what we're actually connecting on a more regular level with with people that we like even though that the other thousand people that are on our Facebook page may not be our true friends. There's perhaps a handful there that we do connect with more regularly. Oh, for sure. I mean, that, you know, and some of the nice things and the benefits about um, social media is that you're sometimes able to float new ideas across. Say you're struggling with a conflict with somebody, but you don't feel comfortable talking to them about it. You can certainly take a risk and talk to somebody online about it. uh, And the risks are far less, um, you know, significant uh, to you. Uh, You know, the risk of rejection or the risk of, you know, having that really strong, uncomfortable feeling because the person's not right in front of you. Um, So certainly there are some benefits to using social media uh, and having those relationships. But really what we found is that if you can follow it up with, uh, you know, a face-to-face or coffee or anything like that, it makes the relationship much stronger Mm. and in the end more fulfilling and better for your mood. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so tech, and and I think we're we're well aware now days that uh, it does um, affect the ability for us to really connect with others. And it does take us away from more face-to-face interactions. What were maybe one or two of the other key challenges you're seeing? Well, aside from tech, I think uh, some of the other challenges uh, is in the workplace. So 
um, you know, the generation, uh, the millennials, for, millenniums, for example, um, you know, it's very hard for them in Canada, at least, to find a, you know, a full-time job. So yeah. uh, they're usually at a job site for maybe one or two years, and then they get laid off or the contract expires, they go to another job. And so they're continuously, their interpersonal world is continuously changing, changing, changing. And so for many of them, they actually don't have the time or the opportunity to develop uh, you know, long-standing and meaningful relationships uh, with their coworkers. So that's certainly something which um, we've noticed mm, yeah, as well. I could say that. So what, and I know you talk about a lot of these um, tools and practices in the books. How can we, yeah, what, what are the steps to, to really improving our relationships? I think the first, one of the first big steps is to take an inventory. It's basically find out who your friends are, how close they are to you, and uh, should we be optimizing any of those type of relationships? Um, so uh, that's really important to take an inventory. And if you take an inventory and you find you don't have a lot of friends, then you may need to you may need to work and create some new friends and find some new friends because um, it's important to make sure you have a nice diverse inventory uh, of uh, people you know in your world. So that would be the first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the second step would be identifying what is really bothering you right now. So is it a conflict? Is it a transition? You know, is it a death uh, that you haven't overcome? And if you go through the book, uh, each of these areas, there's a, there's a whole chapter devoted to each of these focal areas. It'll then give you tips about how to address the interpersonal challenges that come along with conflict or come along with loss or come along with transitions uh, so that you can move forward and not uh, stay stuck in the past. Okay. Yeah. What is really bothering you right now? It's interesting to look at that. With the um, taking an inventory, I mean, we, we I see this often where people say, you know, you know, cull some of the friends that aren't conducive to, to your path forward or, um, you know, perhaps, you know, surround yourself by those that you want to be surrounded by and who you'd like to be more like rather than mm-hmm. associating with others that you don't. Um, sometimes right. that's, it's got a bit of a selfish or negative connotation to it. Like, you know, you might've been friends with someone for, for a long time. Um, and to cull them seems a bit ruthless. Yeah. And you don't need to call everybody. It really depends on the impact it has on your, on your mood. Um, it's just that there may be some individuals that you may want to, um, distance yourself from uh, just even a little bit, which could have a significant impact on your mood. So I'll give you an example. There was a patient that I had once, um, and her husband, uh, was a police officer and he retired. Mm-hmm. And when he retired, uh, they were living together and he basically wanted to do everything with her. Breakfast, lunch, supper, shopping, the whole nine yards, right? Mm -hmm. And so really, and for her, it was really impacting her mood because she felt that she was losing a lot of her independence uh, ever since he retired. So, so, you know, the option, of course, is yes, they could separate or we could can the relationship. uh, But there are other, you know, options. And one of the options that worked for them was for her to have a difficult conversation with him about... Uh, her wish to be uh, afforded a little bit more independence and how to have that conversation. And um, and through one of the exercises that we have in the book called The Matrix, uh, they were able to have that conversation. And so basically what happened is that she was able to 
you know, I'm just using this as an illustrative purpose to, you know, move them a little bit away from her in, in interpersonal inventory, a little bit more outside, and and her other friends uh, that she's always had a very close relationship with, you know, as being an independent woman, uh, she could foster those relationships, nurture them a little bit more independently, and in the end, the two of them were much happier. Mm-hmm. You know, she was happy with her independence, and he was happy that she was happy, uh, and they had developed some sort of a, a compromise in how they would work together in this next phase of their life. Um, so it's just, it's you know, with a therapist or using this book here, you can find techniques about how you um, manage relationships better so that they benefit you and so they benefit somebody else that's meaningful uh, to you as well. So what are the, some of the, the, the strong techniques that we can use to help improve our relationships? And perhaps you could share a few from the book. The, the strongest techniques that we could really all take away and go, okay, that's, that's a really important point of, you know, making my sure. relationships more solid. Right. All right. So one of the ones that we get the most positive feedback is the matrix. This is, uh, it's well illustrated in the book. It's a little complicated to, mm-hmm. um, describe, you know, uh, on radio or TV. Yeah. Um, but essentially what you're doing is you're going to be having a conversation with somebody using the matrix technique, uh, which is actually going to help you transition from thinking to knowing. So a lot of times we make assumptions of what our loved ones have of us and what we have of the, or the, and they make assumptions of what yeah. thoughts that we have of them. Uh, but this exercise actually allows you to know what everybody's expectations are for themselves in a relationship and what expectations they have of you and vice versa. And by doing that exercise, you're really able to lay out all the cards on the table and then um, there's a negotiation t- uh, that occurs between the two parties, and then they can decide whether they're able to get on the same page or on a similar page or whether they are probably better off to go their separate ways. Uh, and so that's uh, a really potent, uh, the matrix is a, po- a potent uh, technique that, that you can find in the book, and, and it's always been very well received with our patients. Okay. So that's one. Uh, the other one uh, that I could share with you um, is quite often in the transitions. So when you go through a significant life transition, um, sometimes people feel overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. Like, uh, for example, if you're you're a mother for the first time, uh, and you're struggling with your mood and you feel overwhelmed at all the responsibilities you have and it's very foreign to you. Um, one of the things you hear a lot, what IPT therapists will say is we'll say the word to our patients, who? Who can help you? Who's gone through this before? And just that simple question, um, patients and listeners will say, oh, there, maybe there is somebody that's gone through or felt something similar to me, and I wonder what it would be like if I spoke to them about it. Just the simple act of speaking to somebody who may have gone through something similar uh, has a significantly positive effect on your mood. And so we will definitely uh, encourage mm. our patients to, to make that and take that step. Reach out. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. With the um, the matrix, uh, I don't know sort of how long the process might be. I guess it varies, but um, even trying to open up those conversations can be hard. How do we go about, um, you know, just immediately connecting with with someone else, whether it's someone that we have known for ages or someone that's um, new to our group of of uh, relationships? How do we, you know, successfully build rapport and trust? Um, so we can have those sort of tougher conversations and more meaningful conversations. 
I think one of the ways uh, of getting to that point is to have these conversations with somebody else. So you can have it with your therapist. You can have it with your best friend. Uh, and they will give you all sorts of advice and ideas about how to have those difficult conversations with the person you're having a conflict with. So we always encourage our patients to try out some of these difficult conversations mm. with somebody else in their inventory, right? So they develop confidence. So they know, like, so they they know how to have the conversation and get feedback from people that know them very well. And then once they develop that confidence, then to try it out on the person that they are having that conflict with. So it's usually um, trying it out with somebody else or with a therapist um, before actually trying it with the person you're having the dispute with. Okay. And just quickly, interpersonal style, um, I just want to touch on that. Is there, you know, ways that we can assess our interpersonal style, like some questions that we could um, sort of look within and, and reflect on to really understand that so we can then maybe tackle that and, and address that? Sure. So what you can do is when you do your inventory, when you write down all the people that are meaningful in your in your life and who you're interacting with, if you notice that you don't have a lot of people or that you have people, but they disappear after you know a few weeks or a few months because there's a, a conflict which is going to happen, that's usually a pretty big indicator that there may be something about your interpersonal style, your personality, which is actually uh, impacting the relationships around you. That's kind of a red flag. And if that's the case, um, then we would normally encourage you to uh, then sit down and be a little bit more reflective about, you know, what have I, what am I doing, hmm. which is always causing the alienation. And if you can't find it on your own, which is actually quite often, then, you know, go find yourself a therapist uh, or a friend that knows you very well. Uh, and they may, in fact, be able to, to tell you, you know what, this is what it is. Um, and once you've developed the awareness of what the weaknesses are in your personality, you can start to learn how to manage them better. Yeah. So, okay. and and I use the word manage because um, a personality is not something which is easily changeable. Uh, so, if you have an aggressive personality style, it's going to be very difficult for you to change that permanently uh, beyond the age of seventeen. Um, but you can certainly learn techniques of how to actually manage it better, and that's what uh, that chapter in the, in the book is all about. Yeah, it's good. I like it. Well, mate, look, thank you for coming on the show and sharing. I um, want to just throw it out to the audience there um, to jump on if this sounds of interest to them. Jump onto thehiddenwire.com. I'll stick a link of the book in the show notes there. You can support the show by using that link. Um, the title is Feeling Better, Beat Depression and Improve Your Relationships with Interpersonal psych, uh, Psychotherapy. Um, so, Ron, how can they best reach yourself or Cindy, is it? Is there a website? Yeah, I, yeah, I would say uh, there is a website. Um, if you just go, if you type in interpersonalpsychotherapy.com, that will actually uh, bring you right to our website, and there'll be some links there uh, where you can order the book if you'd like, or if you want to get training in interpersonal psychotherapy, you'd love to come down to Australia. Um, we certainly uh, train clinicians all around the world in, in, uh, in hopes to getting clinicians to share this model with their patients. So uh, that's certainly that's the way to get a hold of us. Awesome. Yeah, look, well, I'll stick that in the show notes too, Ron. And um, thanks once again for coming on the show. Any final thoughts, Ron? No final thoughts, but it was wonderful speaking with you. And, and I hope that your listeners enjoy it. And uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm sure they will, mate. Until next time, everyone, check it out at thehiddenwide.com. We'll see you soon. Peace, passion, and purpose. Bye for now. 
Thank you for tuning in and listening to today's conversation. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been able to take something away, something to help you create a more meaningful life, a life with greater freedom, fulfillment, and happiness. Guys, if you love the content that I produce here at The Hidden Why, there are a few ways you can support me. Firstly, connect with me. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can connect with me online at thehiddenwhy.com or via social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. I would love to hear from you guys. I would love to connect with you. If you've got any thoughts, comments, feedback, suggestions, or anything at all that you'd like to ask me, you can reach me at thehiddenwhyguy at gmail.com. While you're there, guys, make sure you subscribe to thehiddenwhy.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can be kept up to date with all the new episodes and happenings here at The Hidden Why. If you love what you heard in this episode, guys, or any of the others, please share the love. Share it with your family, friends, and anyone you think that might get some value. If you haven't already done so, you can also leave me a review on iTunes. Simply head over to iTunes, type in The Hidden Why, click the Ratings and Reviews button, and leave me a short message plus a one to five star rating. It helps me reach more people. Once again, guys, I appreciate the time you've taken out of your day to support my show. Until next time, you know what to do. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose, and in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is the Hidden Why Podcast. My name is Liam Arnoldsey. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.